be here at Cornerstone, get to see you all and uh, be a part of this great church and a great part of this great fellowship here in San Francisco. We love coming here. The food is great in San Francisco. We uh, went places, we went to eat sushi, and my wife loves it, and I'm not really, it was great, it was first class, it was the best, it was all those kind of things, but I don't eat it. I like mine cooked, medium well, somewhat, uh, you know, with a little sauce on it, that kind of stuff, or chicken that is grilled, just right, marinated, all that kind of thing. But my wife loves it, but everything here, I think you could get a uh, candy bar from the store, it would taste better. <laughs> here in San Francisco. There's just something about this place. Yeah, let's give it a hand. This is great. I met one of the very few people yesterday. Uh, we were taking a walk. We, when I meet people, I just kind of try to talk to them, which is interesting in different cultures. And here's it, interesting. So I saw this, these guys there. They were fishing. I said, just started carrying a conversation on. They started talking a little bit back. And I said, I have met a lot of people here, but I have not met a 100% true San Franciscoan, somebody who is bred, I mean, just right here, you know, very few of them. And so I said that to the guy, and the guy goes, hey, I was born in that hospital up there. I was over there, all that kind of stuff. I said, you're my kind of guy, man. That is great. That is great. I know that some are here today, but it's just great going someplace where you to see all the cultures, all the mix, all the things taking place. And that's the kind of place that really Jesus wants us to be. That everybody in their different backgrounds, their different uh, abilities, their different uh, personalities, character traits, all those kind of things, that's where Jesus really wants to be. That's what he's all about. It's taking you and I with our traits, with our faults, with our shortcomings, with our abilities, with our lack of ability to use us to reach other people. There's a whole lot of people out there that would never talk to a guy like me. Uh, sometimes I don't blame them, but they would never talk to a guy like me. Here Jesus is saying, there's, there are people out there that are looking to meet you, to meet the God person that you are, the person that God has made you to be, is a better way to put it. To be that kind of person, to go out and share, and to talk, and to meet somebody different, and to be able to share with them a little bit about what life holds and what life is all about. And as we look at this particular story that Jesus shares, very true, of course, in John chapter 4, if you want to look there in your program, your handout, it says there, uh, at this point, the disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, the disciples, they were eager, they were concerned, they were alive. They said, Jesus, they said, uh, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35 is where Jesus drives it home in this story. Did you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. He uses this word lift. Some translations say it says open. Open your eyes. 
These guys, really, Jesus was bringing them to a place where he wanted to understand the priority of life is to personally get involved with people, to personally get involved with people where they're at, what they're doing, what they're saying. They're not going to be just like you, but you know what? They're going to like something about you, and it's going to be this Christ walk. He was sharing with them in all your different traits and tools and abilities, he wants to, but he wants us to open up our eyes. Sometimes what we're looking for to help, and the people we're looking for, right in front of us, and we don't see them. In this part, Jesus is saying to him, open up your eyes so you can see exactly the one person. See that person is waiting, looking, wanting to meet Christ. When I turned 40, something really unique took place is that uh, I went for my physical, all that kind of stuff, and I told the doc, I said, you know, I can see far away, and uh, I, I used to see real far away, and, and now all I see is kind of getting a little blurry. He said, well, go see the eye doctor. So I go, get, go see the eye doctor, and I tell the eye doctor I'm having a hard time seeing long distance, and he puts you in a chair, and, and he get, puts one of these things over your head, and it does this thing like this where, have you been there? Okay, close one eye, and I seem to, couldn't get the one eye just right. I'm big. Maybe I'm not coordinated, but he, he does. And then he said to me, press your eyes against this. And he said, you're going to hear a, feel a little spurt of air. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Yay. I've been waiting for this all day. I've been waiting. In fact, Doc, 40 years for you to shoot my eyes. <laughs> and I looked in there, and he said, okay, hold on. Psst. Man, they hit my eye like this. And I said, Doc, did I do right? Did I pass the test? Did I do good? He said, yeah, that's good. You did good. I said, good, because I'm not doing that again. That was scary. He said to me, he said, he said uh, Hal, he said, uh, you are nearsighted. I said, I'm not nearsighted. I can see things near. It's the far. It's the over yonder that I can't see. I'm glad they haven't changed the, si the sides of a stop sign, because I can see the outline of a stop sign, but it, I know it has to be because of the shape or the yield sign. I understand. Or, or railroad crossing. But, Doc, I, I can see this. This is great. It's out there. He said, no. And he explained to me the whole process. What Jesus was explaining to them is the process. It's a process of the personality, the abilities that he gave you that he wants you to reach. And the disciples so kindly got involved with, hey, Jesus, did you have something to eat yet? And the beauty of them asking them showed a real concern, but Jesus now is trying to make a shift to priorities. Priority of purpose, priority of their personality, priority of who they were, how he made them, what he made them look like, where they were raised in the world. Here they are now in this one particular place, maybe all brought together. And then they asked Jesus one of the most concerned questions, which is not a bad one. Did you eat yet? No, did you? When I, I went to Bible college in Texas, and Texans put it like this, did you eat yet? No, did you? Did you eat yet? No, did you? To translate that is, did you eat yet? No, did you? When I first went to Texas to San Antonio from Cleveland, Ohio, where we just say, hey, let's go eat. Did you eat yet? No, did you? I got lost in translation. Somehow, they got lost in the translation. <laughs> you know, Jesus now says to them, he goes on to say in verse 32, I have food to eat that, of which you do not know. He's trying to make a decision here a decisive one for them to make a decision to say, did you eat yet? No, he hasn't. 
Then he comes back and says, hey, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Anything out there? Has he brought him something? Could somebody at least go down and get him a hamburger? There's something about when a bunch of people get together and there's something about that bit. You have a choice between the quarter pound hamburger, hand-pressed, handmade, or the half pound. I'm a candidate for the half pop. Give me the half pop. Medium well, bacon, cheese, onion ring on it, good sauce. You got to have sauce. Good sauce on it. Put it on a bun. And I try to watch my carbs here lately. I've lost about 35, 40 pounds. Oh, you can minus the bread and then put the lettuce leaves on there so I can feel good about myself. Except when I was here, I said, give me the bun. <laughs> and because I am a health nut, I said, instead of the French fries, give me a sweet potato fries. Here the disciples are saying to Jesus, did you eat yet? <laughs> no, did you? He was bringing it a little bit home. He said, I appreciate your concern that you get the hamburger the way I like it, or the French fries that you go to sweet potato fries and onion rings and all those kind of things. And you even thought about getting a hand, this is what I love, handcrafted hamburger. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. But it's greater than that. And I want to share with you, if I can, four ways that it really Jesus is trying to bring about how it's even greater. It really becomes the unfolding story of your own personal life, because the first one is, will I accept the personal responsibility? Will I accept the responsibility of one person? Will I accept the responsibility of not just walking by everybody? What happens to us is we get so busy. Jesus says, you've gotten so busy, now you guys are hungry. I'm hungry too, but you've gotten hungry. But you forgot this lady left her water pot and went and told everybody, come see this man. He started to get their attentions and say to them, this one person that you uh, passed up so many times is really waiting for you to slow down, speak to them, smile with them, open a door for them to say hi to them. He says in Luke chapter 15, you'll see there in your read, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, who asks forgiveness, who accepts me than over the 99 just persons who have no need. In other words, they are already following Christ, following God's uh, teaching. Here he tells them to get concerned about the one that becomes a passion, an urgency, something that we really want to be a part of, something that we really want to commit our lives to. He shares with them, we've got to get a part of or be a part of that one. Uh, years ago, my daughter now, our daughter is 31. Now, back when she was two, she was real... She is a beautiful woman now, but she's a cute little gal with curly hair and she chubby little cheeks. And uh, so she, it was Christmas time, and back in those days was what they called a cabbage patch doll. She wanted a cabbage patch doll. Cabbage patch doll had great hair, nice cheeks, and her name, their name, uh, tattooed on their rear. It's one way not to forget your name. And so we looked for one, really looking for this Cabbage Patch doll. We found, uh, we went to the store. Pam asked me, she said, you take care of Jamie and I'll slip over here and try to find a Cabbage Patch doll so we can wrap it up, put it in a tree and say, Merry Christmas, look what we got, here it is. 
And so we, we, she takes off, and she leaves me with Jamie, our daughter. She's a brave person. <laughs> I was looking over here. I let go of Jamie's hand to try to get something, and all of a sudden I looked, and she was gone. Jamie? Where did you go? Jamie? Jamie? Jamie, you can come out now. And what's really, do you remember when you were a child, your mom or dad would add that middle name when it got serious? I said, Jamie Anna. Jamie Anna, you can come out now. Jamie Anna, okay, this is, the fun's over. Come on out now, you can come on now. Jamie Anna, and so nothing happened. I didn't hear no little voice. I didn't hear anything. So I went to look for maybe some help before Pam can find out, but it became so <laughs> urgent. It became so urgent, so I started to walk and look and say, Jamie Anna, Jamie Anna, okay, that's enough. The party's over, fun's over, come on out. She was, she was gone, and so I saw the guy with the blue uniform on. I went to him, and I said, sir, I have a two-year-old daughter. She's about this tall, got chubby cheeks. She looks like Cabbage Patch Doll, has no name on her hind end, but she is a living, walking, breathing Cabbage Patch Doll. She is really cute. He said, well, no, 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 well, I need your help. I need your help to help me find her. Her name is Jamie Anna. You'll recognize as soon as she looks, sees her. She's cute. She looks just like me. But you, you need to help me. He looks, he looks at me and he says, well, I need to go through. I don't want you to go through all that. Now it starts getting serious. Either you're going to help and be a part of finding the only child we have or find me somebody that will. You got the walkie-talkie. You got the power. You got the megaphone. Find this kid. Help me start looking. And now all of a sudden, Pam found out. So we're looking for, uh, these people are helping, they were, got involved, they're looking all around, and I'm walking down this one row, and all of a sudden I hear, Dad, Daddy, Daddy. I looked, and there she was, her little face, chubby cheeks, curly hair, all the Cabbage Patch doll the kids would ever want in there, and you couldn't recognize her too much until she said, Daddy. <laughs> Jesus is saying to him is that we need to have the urgency if we're not careful, we walk by a lot of Jamie Annas. We walk by them, we're looking for them, we're looking for them, and they're right there. They look like us. They walk like us, talk like us, they annoy us, they aggravate us, they bother us, we take joy to see them, we understand them, they break our heart, they love our heart, they do all those things, and they're right there. And Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples, I appreciate your, your plan, your purpose, to try to get a hold of me uh, something to eat, and then to ask again, and then to rebuke one another why we don't have a hamburger for Jesus or a pizza or, or a burrito or whatever it is. And now it's really come to the place where it's much more important than that. It is for us to understand. He's telling the disciples the priority of personally getting involved, to take the personal responsibility, to accept the personal responsibility of people. The second thing that happens that I think that Jesus is really teaching here is, is to build a personal relationship. Jesus meets with this lady, small time, small little conversation. He meets with her, and he starts to share with her about life. It says that she left her water pot, and she says, this man must be the Christ because he tells me all about my life. And then she goes off into the city. Here he's given the challenge to the disciples. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are his ambassadors. You and I are his representatives that Christ uses us to reach the world around us. 
Sometimes it's a slowing down to make the relationship, but we let life drift. We let life go away from us sometimes. We let life get away. And, all the, and we catch ourselves. Some people will never see again. We have this opportunity to take, carve out some time. We get so busy. He's saying to the disciples, as you get so busy when they're right there. Some years ago, about 10 years ago, I was on my way to preach a youth camp, and I met a guy at the airport, and he... Uh, had a little suitcase there, and believe it or not, I just about will talk to anybody. It's a gift, and sometimes it, people don't see it that way, but they'll understand it. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I saw this guy. Usually when I get on a plane, uh, people are glad I don't sit by him. <laughs> Number two, if I do sit by him, they put on headphones. If they don't have headphones, I think they're cramming tissues in their ears or something, I don't know, but. It's really, before they get the headphones out, I say, hey, how you doing? My name's Hal. <laughs> so this guy sat down by me. I thought, this is the, the one. And I said, how you doing? He said, good. I said, my name's Hal. What's your, he said, uh, well, let's just call him Tom because that was his name. He said, <laughs> my name's Tom. And uh, I said, Tom, I'm glad to sit by you here, waiting for this plane to you know, go through all this stuff to get, be able to go on the plane. What, where do you live? I live here in the area. And, and uh, I said, you're married, I see. Yes, I'm married. How many children? You have children? Yeah, I have children. He talked about that. I said, isn't, isn't, isn't having children great? And he said, well, they're teenagers. I said, just remember, puberty is not a disease. It will, you know, they'll grow out of it. Sometimes it takes a 30, but they'll grow out of it. And we talked a little bit. And I said, what kind of work do you do? Here's a guy that I will most likely will never see again. Jesus is saying to these guys, it is getting, accept the personal responsibility, but it also is to build a relationship. That's what he did with the lady. What do you do all day? Well, I come get water in this water pot, and I take it back to my family. Well, what is that like? So he just got interested in her. So I got interested in him. And I started to talk to him. And, I, and he said, well, I sell carpet spot remover. He called the name of it, and I said, wow, that's interesting. He gets it out. I said, how does it work? He gets it out, sprays a little spot that was there in the carpet, gets his little brush out. Voila. It's gone. I said, man, Tom, because that was his name. Tom, that was great. He, I said, but Tom, I'll tell you the truth. I, I use the same spot remover at my house. It, it really works great on our carpet. I honestly do. And, and I said, it's really a fantastic thing you have. I said, but what are you ranked in the, in the United States as far as uh, purchases and all that stuff? He said, well, we're, I, I, we're about number two. and about number two. I said, you know what? I have yours at our house, and I tell everybody it's the best ca carpet spot remover that I've ever had. In fact... I, I belong to a church, and I encourage them to use it at the church. And he said, that's great. That's good. And I said, but Tom, I want to tell you something. I, I found, I met a guy who told me about the greatest spot remover in the world. It's number one by far. Really? I said, Tom, I'm not a salesman for him, but I'm going to tell you. I represent them in a greater way than what, you, what I'd really like for you to understand. I said, this spot remover, really, it, it cleans you on the inside. 
not only am I sitting, he's thinking to himself to a guy I wish I would have never met, but he is losing it. <laughs> I said, it really is, really, it's based on John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I backed up and I said, well, Tom, it goes like this. For God so loved the world, for God so loved Tom that he gave Tom his only begotten son that if Tom would believe in him, he would not live the rest of eternity without God and this life he lives now will be great because God will be right with him. And he said to me, he said, wow, I, I really don't, I really never heard that. I said, Tom, he's the greatest spot remover. He removes the <laughs> sin from your life. Honestly, he said to me, he said, what, do you have a card, Hal? I gave him my card. And two weeks later, we got a case of his spot remover delivered to the church. <laughs> I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> but Jesus didn't tell me I was to save anybody. He just tells us to tell him. Would I be interested enough in a one-hour span that we had sitting there, and I took about five minutes listening to him and just asking him a question, being interested in him? I believe that Jesus was looking at this lady and was interested in her. You carry that? That's heavy. You, who do you, you carry it to your children? And then from there, he just moves it into sharing about the greatest story ever known for her life. Now, the challenge for us as followers of Christ, here, here's the challenge about the whole build-a-person relationship. Once people get to know you, they work where you work, they they uh, live in the same apartment building, the same flats, and all those kind of communities, neighborhoods. Once they live in all, they work with you. They ride the bus around you. They do all that kind of stuff. Once they find out a Christian, this is what Jesus is challenging about. Once they find out that you're a Christian, will they be surprised when they find out? <laughs> they're a Christian? Man, you should see them when they're at. And maybe, well, let's go to the next one. Not only does he tell us to accept the uh, personal responsibility, but also to build a relation, personal relationship, he gives the next challenge. And uh, in my opinion, he causes us to share our per personal st story. He wants us to share our personal story. He wants us to realize that wherever we're at, we have this opportunity. But if you're like, I am a Christian for 41 years, sometimes we can drift. Maybe you're here, you feel like you've drifted from it a little bit, or maybe you don't feel like you've read the whole Bible through in one day. Let me give you a little bit of peace of mind. Jesus never said, read the Bible in the whole day. He encourages us to read the Bible every day. We think that if we can really just gruel through reading the whole thing, God will love us more. He's not going to love you any more or any less. He loves you for you. He made you. So you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, there's one person who wants to meet me. There's somebody who wants to meet me today, Lord. Help me not pass them up like all the cabbage patch dolls in the world. Help me to just really look for who they are. They'll be real easy to find. They'll be right there. But it really comes down to, are we willing to pay the price really to take the step to talk to them? As you're going to hear through the summer, to take that step of faith to what God's equipped you to do. Pam and I... My wife loves scuba diving. She loves it. She would, she would love to live on an island and go scuba diving five times a day only because it, she might not have time to go six. She loves scuba diving. She loves all that kind of adventure, learning how, wants to learn how to do this, that, and the other. So she puts our money aside every month, a small percentage, scrapes it together, so we were able to go on a cruise 
uh, now and again. And so she got this whole thing together. And so she said, okay, I put it all together. We're going to go on the screen. She finds this unbelievable deals. I mean, she's great at it. So we go and we're going to go scuba dive. Now I'm a, I'm a basic scuba diver. Patty scuba diving is just a basic scuba diver. She's a, a dive master, which she's in the next step is a dive instructor. I believe is how it goes, somewhere like that. And she really loves this whole scuba diving thing. Her dream is to go deep sea uh, scuba dive in a cage with great whites. Not me. <laughs> I'm more sit by the pool and uh, <laughs> a drink of water or something. So we go, and we're out there. We put this together. We go on a cruise. And so she's, we, she says to me, come scuba dive, and let's go this one time. We went, and we were out there. It's aqua water. I guess you'd call it kind of a real greenish, bluish water. And, if, you're not, if you've never been snorkeling or scuba diving before, you can you get under there and you can just see for 100 feet. When they say more than 100 feet of visibility, you can see for a long, long way. It's the most unbelievable. It's gorgeous. It's like standing on the street and you can just see for all, forever, it seems like. So I got out there and, and my, believe it or not, my mind runs all the time. I sleep about three or four hours a night, not recommended. My mind runs all the time and sometimes I over talk and do all that kind of stuff. And so it's just, I mean, that's what happens. And so I got underwater. I try to stay close. When they say there's a shark, uh, I stay closer to the top because if you can get to the top, walking on the water on top is easier than running on the sand on the bottom. And so I really am a very spiritual guy. I do believe I'm walking on water. And so I was up there, and all of a sudden I found myself disoriented. I didn't really see where they're at. So the rule is to pop to the top, and if everybody else will eventually when they don't recognize you're not there. So I popped to the top. I'm low on air, pumped it up, the BCD, the breathing apparatus. I'm now bobbing in water. Fins paddling, just bobbing, and I sense myself going against the current. And all of a sudden, I sense myself moving. There's the ship over there. There's the dive boat. And so I'm, I know the people in the ship can't see me because I don't have one of those things to throw up in the air. And, and here's a guy in a dive boat. He's just laying there. Uh, he can't see me. I'm so far away from him. My fault. I got so far away. And I just started waving. He, he don't see me. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I heard some of the greatest sounds. <laughs> Here comes this guy with two divers, and he had his little boat with his thing, and it was a little boat from that guitar to about right here, uh, uh, kind of a fiberglass boat. Already had to wait, you know, a lot of, three people, and it was too much. And I seen him, I go, hey, 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 hey. He comes by. Are you okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> I said, I got in this drift, and I'm way out here. And now here I am in this, in this, in this predicament. I said, can you help me? Here's what's really neat about it. Let's look at it that we're the person in the lifeboat that Jesus is sending out to this one. We think it's a chance and it's a destiny moment. I'm going to tell you, with all my heart, I believe there was a destiny moment for me. Here comes this guy with these. He didn't take out his little piece of paper and he said to me, Hey, you diver in the water that's all away from the dive boat and the cruise boat over there and your whole group that you went out diving with, you said there was about 20 of you. They're long gone, and here you are, bobbing up and down the water. Do you see all the rules you broke? 
You got away from your dive partner. You are running out of air. You're at the top. You don't have the rescue me type of balloon you put in the air. You don't know where you're at. You're disoriented. You don't know what's going on. You have drifted. And we have come out here just to save you and be a part of it. Look at all the rules you have messed up. And if you keep going, you're going to dash your body against those rocks over there. You're going to fall to the bottom because that tank's going to take you to the bottom. And you're going to get particles all growing all over you. And there'll be divers coming by and look at that guy. He didn't follow the rules. <laughs> he didn't say that to me. I'm thankful because I jerked him out of the boat. No, <laughs> he didn't say that to me. He said to me, how can I help you? Slow down. He saw I was anxious. Yeah, I was anxious. I'll have to admit, my mind's running. Every Jaws movie I ever watched, it was running. He said, how, how can we help you? Just slow down, sir. What's your name? I said, my name's Hal. He said, we're going we're gonna to tow you over here. And I grabbed the side of the boat, and I tried to push myself up with a weight capacity. was like 700 pounds in the boat. Then I'm going to toss this up in there. <laughs> no, 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 don't panic. Just hold on. <laughs> How many times have we seen people or know of people who have drifted from the church, got unchurched, or people we know de-churched, and we think all we got is this little fiberglass boat that nobody's really going to want our help because we don't got much to offer. I'm going to tell you what, I was drifting way out there. He had everything in life to offer me. Where are you in your own personal walk? You and I in our own personal walk, are we willing to share our personal story? But it cannot be, this is what you need. You are really a filthy sinner. You need this. That's not what Jesus is telling them to do. He's not saying headlock him, give him a few noogies like this. He's not saying to do any of that. What he's saying to them, don't tell them what they need. Just tell them who you have. Just tell them what you have. And let them make the decision. I had already made the decision in my heart. When he got out there, I drifted so far. When he got out there, he was my hero. Put an S on his chest. He's Superman. I'm glad you're there. I'll hang your picture in my house. I'll bow, I'll do whatever, but you are my guy. How about you and your community? When you show up, when you're the person, and this person really is in a place in life when they should have known better, <coughs> people like you and I that maybe drift, <coughs> people like you and I have been through the connection class, we've been through small groups, we've been through service, we even put the quarters in the meter. We do everything that is right unto man and God. And we catch ourselves not where we really need to be. And then God sends somebody in a boat to get us. So it should be that we should be that one that goes in the boat to get them. Let me tell you the last one. Give a personal invitation. Give a personal invitation. Keep our eyes open for the one. Keep our eyes open for the one. I was raised in Cleveland, Ohio. My mom and dad got a divorce when I was 11. We left for, I left for school going into the sixth grade. I left for school in the sixth grade. My brother was in the seventh grade. My older brother, Charles, he was, he was out of school. And uh, we left for school, came back only to find that our dad left us. For some reason, they weren't getting along. We knew they weren't getting along, my mom and dad. We just kind of avoided it, stepped around. It wasn't a, a crazy thing that was taking place, but all of a sudden, they're growing apart. They left. My dad left, moved back uh, to where he was from, moved back, and I was from age 11 to 31. I never saw him again until I found him. But at age 11, coming home, and your dad's gone, your mom now left with a lot of bills, the challenge of lose the house, the challenge of lose car, 
the challenge of losing your job, the challenge of everything. My mom then worked two full-time jobs. And from age 11, she worked two full-time jobs. She sat us down and she gave us some brilliant uh, advice. She said to us, you're not always responsible for the circumstance you're in. You can't pick your parents. You can't pick your parents' job, their income, where you live. You can't pick any of that. You're 11 years old. You're not always responsible for the circumstance you're in, but you are responsible for your response. So she told us, she said, Why don't you, what I'd like for you guys to do here living on the west side of Cleveland, go cut grass, find on end jobs, bring the money in. I'll give you some allowance of the money that you work for, and we'll help bring this thing together. My brother Charles then, who is about six or seven years older than me, she said, you're going to join the Army. He joined the Army. He's gone. It was a great thing. It was just me and my brother Charles. I mean, my brother Danny, and we worked. We helped my mom. We pulled together, started to dig it out, started to go. And then, we, then at age 15, I was uh, about the size, honestly, about the size I am now, about 15, 20 pounds lighter, 15 years old. I was trying to figure out what life was about. Am I just going to get old? Am I just going to get older? Go to school, play sports, find a woman, get married, have kids, then some day if I live long enough, grandkids, and so on and so forth. And is my destiny going to be just like my parents? Is my destiny going to be good? Is it going to be poor? And then we started to find out when I was 15 years old, this is a very transparent thing I'll share with you, I found out that I could only read at a second grade level because I used personality to get by, I used other things to get by, I was not a bad person, I just was a good guy trying to get around things I couldn't do. Well, at 15 years old, I was sitting on my front porch, July the 3rd, 1971. Up walks this guy, it's 8 o'clock at night, this guy named Richard. He said to me, he said, hey, my name's Richard. What's your name? He said, Hal. He said, I live right behind you over here, kind of catty corner. He said, I uh, just wanted to come by and meet you. He said, how's your day? He got, he accepted the responsibility. He got personally involved, and he started it. Later, in a little bit, he'll tell his story. He started to tell me the story how, uh, he started to ask me my story, so I told him I just finished painting a porch for my mom. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm cutting grass. The next afternoon, I'm cutting grass. I'm going to get involved. We had two paper routes at our house. We delivered newspapers. We did it, sang Christmas carols, did whatever we could do to raise money. So he listened. And for about an hour, I shared my story. I said, well, what do you do, Richard? He said, well, I'm going to the school. He was a year ahead of me in school. He said to me, uh, we go to church, but we go to church not because it's a religious thing. We go to church because it's a, um, we're Christ followers. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He started sharing Christ with me. About 4 o'clock in the morning, July the 4th, 1971, on a Sunday morning. Yeah, it was a little slow. It took him all that time, that seven hours, and I, eight hours. And, I told, and he shared with me, tried to answer every question. He shared with me about how I needed to commit my life to Christ. And I said to him, I'll give Jesus a try. He said, if you just give him a try, you're going to drift away. You're, going to, you're not going to, you, you, it's really about a commitment. So I said, I'll give Jesus a commitment. I prayed a prayer, a very simple prayer, one that you might want to invite somebody to pray sometime, or you need to pray yourself, was Jesus, forgive me my sins, come live in my heart, help me to live a life I can't live on my own. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all I prayed. The thunder didn't happen. Earthquake didn't take place. None of that stuff happened. I just said, this is great. And as the day went by, it then took me to church. It was a great experience going to church. I had a big, giant afro. 
I went to a very uh, different kind of church, older church. There was about 60 people there. And I walked in. It was like, the if you remember today, back Billy Press. I mean, it was just that kind of good fro going on. I walked in and sat in front, in front of these people. And they were shouters, raised their hand. And so I'm standing next to Richard. And I'm talking during church, which you're not supposed to do. But I'm talking anyway. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. He tried to explain it as much as possible. Here it is, July the 4th. I've been a Christian for about six hours, and I'm with all these people, long hair, ratty looking, you know, tore up shirt, old jeans on, Converse tennis shoes was the coolest thing going, either in, in canvas or black, and so that's what, what I had on, and I'm saying, I said, hey, Rich, people were raising their hands, you know, worshiping the Lord, I said, Rich, that guy's raising his hand, he's got a question, are they going to ask him? <laughs> I said, Rich, now he's got both hands up, he said, don't worry about it, just hang on, but I, then I started to see how I grow, you know what I was? I was that guy out there floating that needed somebody to come in a lifeboat. I was that guy, I was that person that thought that Jesus needed more hamburgers when really he needed all of me. I was that one person that somebody, that one person, that one person came and started sharing the gospel with of Jesus Christ that totally changed my life. What if Richard would have walked by and said, hey, what's going on, and never stopped to say hey? What if Rich would have never walked down that street? What if I wouldn't have been sitting on a board? There's a lot of things. There's destiny means, I believe, every day it is for us to look. You say, well, man, how, I'm not as outgoing as you are. It's not about being like me or being outgoing. It's about being you. God made you so unique that he has story after story that he wants to use your life for. And if we catch ourselves drifting, it's about saying, God, send another person by my way because I need some encouragement. And when we see people drift, it's not about going and telling them how bad they are. It's about telling them how good God is, how he can help them and be a part of their life. And just a few, I want to pray, but in just a few minutes, we're going to worship the Lord in offering. The ushers will come up. The band's going to come now. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that, that you'll be willing to surrender to be that one. To be that person that says, you know what, God? Maybe I've fallen short up to this point, but I really need your help today. Maybe, maybe you were supposed to go to some festival or something else going on, and you happen to come to church. I don't see anything as happen chance. I really see that if we seek first the kingdom of God, he really sees the cry of our heart. Let's pray. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that the simplicity of it is, and I'm so glad it's simple, is to say, Jesus, forgive me my sins, come live in my heart, be my Savior. Help me to live this life. I just can't do it on my own. And Father, they pray that. There are those that are caught themselves like I was, just drifting out there, hoping to hear the guy in the little boat. And you know what? It was my fault. It wasn't anybody else's fault. It was my fault because I should have been watching the rules. I knew a little bit better, but I thought, and then all of a sudden, here comes this guy. I would say out of nowhere, but really I know better. It was, it was Matthew 20, 28 is that it go into all the world. This guy was going, and he came. And he didn't tell me where I blew it. He told me that he was there to help me. Even though he had all he could handle, he was there to help me. And Father, I pray that as you touch each person that's here, let us see that if we would just reach the one, the one person, just the one, every day waking up saying, God, help me to be the one. And Lord, when I am the one, somebody's come to help me. Lord, I pray, ease the tensions of finances that people are going through. If they feel less because they can't do certain things as good as other people, whether it's athletics, academics, whether it's health, whether, whatever it is, 
that they'll just say, God, you made me because you're a brilliant God and you're able and you want to use me to be a living testimony known and read by all men, to be the salt and life, light of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.